the biggest thing that we've been taught and we say all the time is, oh, God's testing me with this sin and he keeps putting it in my face or this sickness. I just got diagnosed with X, Y, Z. He has me in a season of poverty, of lack, of doubt. And we believe that God wants to afflict pain on us to refine our character. And that is just not biblical. In a sense, I feel like it brings people comfort, but it's so twisted, okay? We have to really understand who the devil is, who our enemy is, and that he is cunning, and his number one goal is deception. He wants to deceive you. He wants you to not be aware and know in your heart who God is and that he is absolutely good. Hello, beautiful people. It's your host, Danielle Mason, bringing you authentic conversation, transparency around real life experiences, and actionable tips to create your next breakthrough today. Think of this as your home away from home healing oasis where we overshare and overcome obstacles together. Pull up a seat, come as you are, and be ready to leave feeling challenged to reflect, encouraged to take action, and inspired to change. This is the Blackouts to Breakthroughs podcast. Good morning. Happy Wednesday or whenever you're listening to this episode. I'm Danielle Mason, your host, and we're back with another episode. Today, I just really needed to share this with you all. This is something that I just recently learned, and it's one of those things where I had believed something else for so long, and now that like veil has been lifted in a sense, and this was actually in a small group class that I had went to at my church and they were talking about how God is good and absolutely good, how he's a hundred percent good, how the biggest thing that we've been taught and we say all the time is, oh, God's testing me with this sin and he keeps putting it in my face or this sickness. I just got diagnosed with X, Y, Z. He has me in a season of poverty, of lack, of doubt, and we believe believe that God wants to afflict pain on us to refine our character. And that is just not biblical. And it's so crazy because this was something that I believed for so long. And in a sense, I feel like it brings people comfort, but it's so twisted, okay? We have to really understand who the devil is, who our enemy is, and that he is cunning. And his number one goal is deception. He wants to deceive you. He wants you to not be aware and know in your heart who God is and that he is absolutely good. Satan gets more power by sowing deception into the heart of the believer. We always say God is good, but then talk about, oh, God's taking me through this season to refine me or because it's better for me. We're going to look at two parts of scripture. We're going to go to Genesis and we're going to turn to the gospels. So first things first, if we look at the life of Jesus, he is our example. He is a reflection of who God is. So if you are wondering and curious about who God is, you just turn your eyes to Jesus and you turn your eyes to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the life of Jesus. Those are the gospels. And if you haven't read them yet, highly recommend you read them. Like 
gotta read them. This is the life of Jesus. And so if we ever have a question about who God is, his character, what his desires are, how he operates, we can look at the life of Jesus. And so if you are coming on this episode, believing that maybe you're going through a a trial, you're going through something and you believe it's from God, it's of God, you may be right now not trying to resist it, not trying to resist that thing, not trying to fight that thing. And that's exactly what Satan wants for you to believe that your affliction and your pain is of God, so you don't resist the devil. So we're going to turn over to Genesis 3, 1 through 7. I'm reading out of the NASB version. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you will eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. There's so much in that. And I think I have to do another episode with that right there. In six, it says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Okay. So let's break down. This is the very first instance of sin in the world. And we can study and see what Satan's tactics were so we can prepare ourselves and we can know and call out the enemy when we see him trying to invade our lives and trying to make us fall. So what did Satan do to Eve? He was planting these seeds of doubt. He was deceiving her. He was twisting scripture, twisting what God had told Adam and Eve. God had told Adam and Eve that if you would eat from this tree, you will die. And the serpent used something that was appealing to Eve and even something quote unquote good, right? To you will become wise if you eat this fruit. You become like God if you eat from this fruit. And Eve, desiring to be more like God, she fell into that trap. She fell into that almost truth, but not truth, which almost truth every time is a lie. Okay, so when God was saying, you will surely die when you eat from this fruit, he was talking about a spiritual death. And so if we look at what Satan did, he was really just planting the seed of doubt. So we sometimes can think of Satan's going to like be so straight up in our face and we're going to be able to see, oh yeah, that's Satan. No, He is very cunning and he is very sly. He hides in the shadows of darkness. He hides in the shadows. So you are not able to identify that it is him. His main goal is to separate us from God, is to deceive us to think that God isn't absolutely good and to blame God for everything. Satan wants us to blame God for everything. Blame God for what you're going through. Blame God for the darkness in the world. Blame God for or the things that you're seeing on on TV and bl- put all the blame on God and make you think like 
why if if God allows XYZ to happen, then he must not be good. So I'm not going to follow your God. How many of people have heard that or maybe even said that? That is Satan's biggest trick. He wants to pull you away from God. Because the path away from God leads to eternal darkness where Satan is. He's so miserable. He wants everybody else. He wants God's creation to live in an eternity of darkness. So what happened when Adam and Eve ate the fruit? When they ate the fruit, the glory of God departed from them. They became sinful. That was the fall of man. They became sinful. They became ashamed of their naked bodies. Whereas before, they didn't have those feelings of shame, of doubt, of wanting to hide. I want to also read in verse 8-2 here. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Okay, so a lot. Here's a lot here. So the first thing that Adam and Eve felt, what, what emotion did they feel when they sinned? They felt that fear right? They felt that fear. And what happened? They immediately wanted to hide from God. Now, how many of you guys have felt that before, right? You sin and you feel shameful and you feel like you have to hide from God, the creator, the person who actually loves you more than anybody in this world. So if we can identify, okay, Satan used seeds of doubt. He used his tactic was deception. And Adam and Eve felt fear afterwards. How can we apply this to our life today? What Satan wants to do is he wants to steal the word from you. He wants to steal the promises from you from God. He wants you to doubt God's word. And where can you find God's word? In the Bible. You can get a word from God in prayer. You can get a word from God from other people. So as soon as the good seed is planted, truth is planted in your heart, the enemy is, is immediately going to come and try to steal that word from you. The second thing of Satan's approach, that's the first one, steal the word, steal truth. The second thing is he wants to push and rush you out of something. So when you feel rushed to make a decision, and this is something, man, I'm like, okay, I can call you out now, Satan. But he wants to push you and rush you out of something. So in this instance of Adam and Eve, he was saying, surely you will not die. Just take a bite. And then the third thing that Satan does is he brings division and separation between you and the father through disobedience. So he wants to make you hide. He wants to make you sin because sin separates us from God. That's why we have to repent of our sins. We have to be aware and conscious of who we are and the sin that we fall into and repent and bring that to God and not to hide and to try to live in this sin, but to come to God boldly. He says, come to him boldly and come to him and confess our rebellion, confess our sins. He knows everything about you. And all he wants is your heart. All he wants is for his child to come to him when they screw up, when they mess up, when they make a mistake. And he wants to give you that forgiveness, that free gift of forgiveness and to not act as Adam and Eve did in the garden and to hide from God, to have that fear. I mean, in verse three, nine, God called out to Adam and said, where are you? He is looking for you. He is seeking you. He wants you to come to him. He is constantly seeking, seeking your heart. And if we continue down in this story, I mean, in 10, Adam responds to God and said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. 
And then in 11, God responds and says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? So he didn't immediately say, you get out of my sight. You are unworthy. You are a sinful creature. You are a disgrace to me, right? He did not say that. That's not how God responded. God responded and said, who told you that? Who told you that you were naked? So if we're really thinking about this perfect father, who God is, and that God is good and absolutely good, he desires a relationship with you and he desires for you, wherever you're at, whatever you did yesterday, today, whatever, he wants you to come to him with it. He's looking for you. And then if we even go further down in this chapter... God literally made garments and clothes. He clothed his children. He clothed Adam and Eve. He gave them consequences for their actions, right? No matter who you are, there's going to be consequences for your sin. Just like there's consequences when a father disciplines their child, right? If their child acts in rebellion, sins, does something in disobedience, a good father will discipline their child accordingly. I want to move back over to talking about the tactics of Satan. I'm sure we've all heard this gaslighting term, right? That's exactly what the devil does. What gaslighting means, it means to manipulate somebody by psychological means into questioning their own sanity, into questioning their truth, into questioning what they know as true. And that's exactly what Satan does. Because if the devil can deceive you and get you in the realm of doubt and living in this, in this, in this realm of doubt, He's got an open door into your life that he can walk right through and take anything that he wants. So when we talk about these doors being open, like this is this is real stuff. If you were if you were doubting, if you were in fear, if you were living in unforgiveness and shame, these are all open doors for the enemy to come in and out as he pleases. And so what we must do as believers is we must close these doors and we must uproot these lies that we've believed and taken as truth that the enemy has whispered in our ears and has made us believe these things, we have to uproot these things. We have to uproot unforgiveness in our hearts because that is one of the biggest doors that the enemy uses and can come into. And so what we must do as believers is to close these doors or we're really welcoming Satan into our lives and to torment us and to continue luring us into darkness, into the things of the world, into things of him. And so this is why as believers, we must believe and start with the premise that God is absolutely good. No pain comes from him. You may can say, okay, well, in this chapter, he's telling Eve, you will have pain when you bring forth children and pain towards Adam. You have to do this hard work and it's going to be a burden to you where before it was a joyful thing, right? But it's going to be a burden to you now. And so we can look at that and say, well, God inflicted pain on his creation, on Adam and Eve in the beginning. But what was that a cause of? We have to really look at and not to think like, oh, God just wants to inflict pain on us for no reason. No, Adam and Eve did the thing that God told them not to do. They acted in disobedience and God told them, if you do this, this will lead to the spiritual death. And so we have to look at both variables. We can't just blame everything on God, okay? We have to really look at this like, okay, who is in the picture? Who is in the story? It's human, Adam and Eve, and God. Another attribute of God is that he cannot lie. And so he told them what would happen if they ate from the tree. It was when they chose to believe the enemy versus God. So how can you apply this to your life, right? 
Again, God knows you're going to fall. But the more that we feed our spirit and not our flesh, the more we can stand spiritually strong in the face of temptation, the more we can equip ourselves with truth because how we can attack the enemy and overcome the enemy is with the word of God, is with scripture, is with truth. And so you may be living in the consequences of your actions. And there will every single time be consequences. It's just like, say you made a poor financial decision. You have to reap the consequences of your actions, right? It doesn't just go away. But the key of this is to understand that God is good and that all things that come from him is good. And the devil is the opposite of God. The devil is where darkness lurks and lies and where almost truth lives. And in God is where truth lives. And so the enemy wants you to lure you into sin. And guess what? All of us are going to sin. Okay. We're all going to sin. Like, the rest of our lives, we're going to fall into sin and into temptation. But you have two decisions to make when you do make a mess up and a mistake and you fall into sin. You can choose to believe the devil and to say, I'm not worthy anymore. I am I'm doubtful of my relationship with God. I feel shame. You can live in that. You can live in the, in the feeling of God's going to condemn me. That's a lie. Or you can choose the path of, of life and say, Lord, I've messed up. I'm a sinner. And I know you is where I find truth and where I find my identity, Lord. I repent of this sin, of this sin, of this sin. I repent of my rebellion. Please forgive me. Thank you for forgiving me, Lord. And then continuing to pursue God and going after truth. So those are the two options that you have. And the longer that you live in that sin, right? We can look at King David. He was somebody who was so anointed by God. He had so much faith, such massive faith. And he trusted God with with his life. And every step he took was a faithful step. And then he messed up. And he committed adultery with Bathsheba, a woman he was not married to, a woman who was married to another man. And then he committed murder to hide Bathsheba's pregnancy because he got Bathsheba pregnant. Y'all, I'm telling you, the Bible is juicy, okay? Got Bathsheba pregnant, tried to hide it by murdering her husband. And he was living in the sin for months. And he finally repented. And you can look at the Psalms of David. It's so beautiful. In those months, he was living separated from God. And in Psalms, David talks about the darkness that he experienced and the the life apart from God, separated from God and the shame he was living in and this this fear that he was living in of people to find out. And, and then he finally repented of his sins. And God was waiting for that moment. David could have done it immediately after he had committed that sin, but no, he chose to live in the darkness and to believe the lies of the enemy and to believe that what he did was unforgivable and that he could control his life and the outcomes himself versus turning to God and asking for guidance from God and forgiveness from God. And I want you to write this down or to study this verse and to just allow it to seep into your heart so you can know the difference between good and evil, between God and the enemy. So John 10, 10, I'm going to read in the amplified version. The thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. I came, God came, that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. God wants you to live in life. He wants you to live in light. He wants you to live in abundance in his creation to the fullness until it overflows. He didn't give it a cap. He wants your cup to overflow with life. And the enemy 
what do we say? His main tool, his number one tool is deception. He wants to steal that truth from you. He wants to make you blame God for the darkness that's happening in this world, for what the enemy is doing on this world. He wants to steal that truth from you, for you to doubt God, who he is and his word and what he says about you, push and rush you out of something, push and rush you out of God's promises, push and rush you out of a relationship with God, out of a relationship with people who God has sent in your path, out of these things and then bring division and separation among you and the Father. Because he knows once he can separate you, you're his. He will, you, you're his. And you're on the path that he wants you to be on, not the path that God has designed for you to be on. So you have to know and take that as truth. In James 1.8, it says, Being a double-minded man, unstable and restless in all his ways, in everything he thinks, feels, or decides. You cannot be double-minded. You cannot think that God is good and also he is bad and he inflicts this pain because he just wants to. No, God is a good God. In him you find life. And so also realizing, because we are going to be battling with Satan, right? But the more that you live in the spirit, the more that you feed your spirit, read the word, pray, be in fellowship with other believers, the more you will become stronger in the presence of your enemies. And so if you think or believe, imagine, assume, or have any idea that God is behind your trouble, you will never resist it. You will sit in that trouble. You will sit in in that poverty. You will sit in that sickness. You will sit in that sin and not resist it. So it's really important to know and to believe that God is good and absolutely good. I actually just had an interview with one of my sweet friends that battled through cancer for a couple years. And you can say people will look at situations like that and say, oh, God is taking her through that to strengthen her. No, the enemy inflicted that on her. But what she did, and you'll hear her story, is she fought with the word of God. She fought with life. She fought with truth. She fought that battle, not in her flesh, but in the spirit, she fought that battle and she overcame that. And God used her story for good. So what God does is he takes the bad and he uses it for good. He takes what the enemy meant for evil and he uses it as good. He is not the one that inflicts the trouble on you. I want to leave you with how can you start to strengthen yourself spiritually and how can you fight the enemy? What you have to know is the enemy has no defense of the word. When we looked at Jesus being tempted in the 40 days in the wilderness, is he used scripture to fight Satan. He used the word of God to fight Satan. And so it's so important to be in the word and not to just read the word, but to be doers of the word and not to just read it and forget it, but to allow it to seep into our hearts. You can fight the enemy by walking in that faith and acting on the word of God. You only allow Satan to operate and to give power to him when you allow him to seep and to sow deception into your heart and to believe the lies that he wants you to believe. That's the only way that you can give Satan that power, right? You know, that looks like many different ways, like deception. When I'm talking about unforgiveness, you can believe the lie that if I forgive this person, I'm allowing them to just give Get away with it. I'm allowing them to just get over on me. If I turn the other cheek, like they're going to get over on me. That's a lie from the enemy. So when you believe the, the, the deception that Satan is telling you to fear, to have shame, and you allow it to seep into your heart, you're allowing the enemy to have power over you. And I had said this before between the difference of how God is truth and how what he says is right. And there's a right and there's a wrong, but there's discernment, what discernment is, is knowing the difference between right and almost right. 
because Satan operates in the almost right. Because again, looking at how he he uses deception, how he sows these seeds of doubt, like in Adam and Eve and also in Jesus, he is using scripture because he's cunning. He operates in the almost right realm. That's why it's so important for you to fill your spirit with truth every single day. So you must have and cultivate a diet of the word of God and be a doer of the word. So read the word and act out. Ask God after you read a passage, ask him, how can this apply to my life, Lord? How do you want this to apply to my life? How can I use this to grow? And after you ask that, sit in silence and listen to him. Okay, listen to see what he says and have a journal next to you if um, you want to document. I highly recommend documenting. And so that is how you can study scripture and allow it to apply to your life. So we must, 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 must be single-minded. And in Acts 10, 38, it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with great power. And he went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. So moving over to looking at the life of Jesus, he never caused or afflicted pain or sickness on anybody. Okay. You cannot find in the Bible when he made a man be possessed. He only casted out the demons. You can't point out in the gospel where Jesus made a man sick for his glory. No, he healed the sick. And why? Because God was with him. So Jesus is a representation of who God is in God's heart. Jesus was the most loving, patient, kind. He performed miracles on earth of healing people, of redeeming people, of giving people life again, of allowing them to be born again. That is what Jesus did and who he is. And that is who God is. What does Isaiah 54, 14 through 15 say? says, you will be secure under a government that is just and fair. Your enemies will stay far away. He's talking about a system, a power, an authority that is just and fair. Who is the only authority that is just and fair? It's God, okay? Your enemies will stay far away. You will live in peace and terror will not come near. If any nation comes to fight you, it is not because I sent them. Whoever attacks you will go down in defeat. So the reason that you're, you're, you feel like you're being sent oppression, pain, sadness, defeat, darkness, these things, it's because you live in a fallen world and the enemy is alive and real today. It's not because God is sending these things to, to, to overcome you. When you are a born-again believer and you are being a doer of the word and you are walking in faith, which is not this is not all easy ask, but it gets easier when you fall in love with God, when you fall in love with Jesus, and when you understand who he is and what he says about you, it gets it gets easier because you fall in love with truth. It says whoever attacks you will go down in defeat. He wants to be your provider and your protector, but he's a gentleman. He's not going to do it unless you invite him into your life to allow him to, to work in your life. I want to kind of finalize with, okay, this discipline factor. In Hebrews 12, 6, it says, For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. So God's correction is for our profit, which is holiness and righteousness. Further down in Hebrews 12, like 9 through 11, it goes to say, Since we respect our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us, so that we might share in His holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are 
trained in this way. And so again, looking at the perfect father, thinking about the perfect father, you can't expect to do and live this life however you want to and not have consequences because what God wants to do is he wants to make you holy and holy doesn't mean holier than thou or without imperfection. It means set apart, set apart from this world and to live in righteousness. And God does this transformation through his word again. So it's so important to just be in the word and to be a doer of the word. This will be the last scripture that I'll, I know I've gave you guys a lot of scripture, but I knew that I really needed to with this topic. So in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, we can see how God corrects us. Okay. So it says all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every work. So what is this saying? It is saying that God teaches us through scripture. He's correcting us through scripture. So when we read the word, we have to read it with an open mind and we must allow the Bible to translate itself and to speak into our lives, not for us to take out what we don't want in the Bible and to believe some of it and to take out another part, right? We have to allow the Bible to really commit surgery in our heart and to change us because we at default are born sinners. So correction is in his word and he corrects us before temptation, before we need it. So he wants to equip us in the presence and in in the midst of temptation. Because what it'll do, if, if you're diligent in studying the word, the Holy Spirit will breathe it into our remembrance because we don't we don't walk this out alone. If you are a born-again believer, you have the Holy Spirit as your helper. Actually, this will be the last verse that I use because you may be saying, well, I feel like God like tempts me to test me, you know, to test me if I'm, you know, solid in this area. But in James 1.13, right, anything that, any thought, we must align it with scripture. So in James 1.13, and this will be the last one, uh, it says, and remember when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong. And he never tempts anyone else. And so I just hope you're leaving this episode, one, knowing who God is and more of his character and that he is good and absolutely good and who the enemy is. And so hopefully you can identify in your situation, in your real life, in real time, am I having doubt? That is not of God because that doubt is not of God. God is only good things, only good things. The enemy is everything else. God is only good things. And so for you to come to a place where you really trust the Lord, you must believe that he is good and that he wants the best for you. That's how you can fully trust your father in heaven and to start acting out the word because if you believe that he is good and that he wants nothing but the best for you and he wants to overflow your life with abundance and life and light, then you will read the word with an open heart and an open mind and allow it to depict your steps, allow it to move you forward in life, allow it to mold you into the person that God has created you to be. I'm going to end this episode with a prayer. 
So dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for everybody listening, Lord. I want to thank you for being such a good father, for being the perfect father, God. I want to thank you for every ear hearing God and just for their lives, Lord. I want to thank you for your truth, for your truth being like a sword, God, and for equipping us with the truth so we can fight our enemies, Lord. You've set a table before us, before our enemies, God, and we are stepping into that and believing that, Lord. I just pray over every heart, God. God, I pray that any sin or any any defeat, any lie that they've believed from the enemy, God, I just pray that they uproot it, Lord. I pray that you reveal it to them so they can uproot it themselves, God, in their, in their time with you, in the secret place with you, God. So that way they can be freed from the lies and from the sin and the rebellion and their darkness and their past, God, so they can walk in full freedom and confidence in who you've called them to be. I want to thank you, God, for allowing us to live in, in abundance, Lord, and for gifting us this, this gift of life, God, a life with you. I want to thank you for your spirit, for being our helper and guiding our steps. And I just pray, God, that we just surrender this day to you, Lord, all glory to you, God. And we just ask for your help. And we just thank you for your help and for your forgiveness and for your love. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. All right, let's bring it in, giving you a virtual hug because you just finished another episode of Blackouts to Breakthroughs podcast. And you know what? You just deserve it. The reviews and subscriptions mean a lot to me. So if you love today's episode, make sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on any other episodes. Also, I'd love to hear your takeaways. So feel free to screenshot this episode, put it in your stories and tag me at Blackouts to Breakthroughs on Instagram with your biggest takeaways so I can connect with you and reshare your post. I can't wait to hear from you. Until next time, friend.